you need to be conforming to some extent to the language of your buyers. And unless you know what language they use to search, what language they use as part of the decision-making process, you could be wasting that entire investment from the design, from the copywriting, and ultimately the development. So, so I'd say, yes, you need to be talking to search, I'd say, at the messaging stage uh, to understand the keywords, certainly before you start any type of copywriting. This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network. Available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go business storytellers. How's everyone doing? Hey, today we want to talk about one of my favorite topics, and that is why your strategy should start with a website. One of my pet peeves in the world is talking to a digital agency and their website is horrible. And I can already see the excuse. We're so busy. We're doing all this work for clients. We don't have time to create a good website. Baloney. I don't have time to blog. I don't have time to live stream. I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to look at my calories. I do all those things. Well, the last one, not so much. But you know what I'm saying? We can make the time to have a good website, to make it part of our strategy. So let's find out how do we do that. Uh, Jeremy Wolf, I'm pretty sure I ran across him on Casey Cheshire's Hardcore Marketing Show. I listen to that every time it comes out. Uh, just the latest episode just dropped on um, how to hire sales leaders and how interesting that discussion was because they talked about not all salespeople are commissioned. Very interesting. Take a listen. It's the Hardcore Marketing Show. All right, let's get to Jeremy here and talk about websites. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Bang. Always great to um, talk to people that have talked to Casey before. I've been on his show a couple of times, and certainly it is very interesting. We do not have hammers to pass around on our show, but we do oh. certainly have thoughts to think about. So tell me about why, first of all, why, are we, why do we have so many companies that claim they don't have time to work on their website, and why should they? Do you mean marketing companies in particular or companies in general? Where are you coming from? Well, I think the example I gave was agencies, not even marketing companies. But, you know, I see it in a lot of places. I mean, people don't necessarily update their website or they don't have a website or it's really, really outdated. I mean, I was just looking at a nonprofit the other day and they updated their website to what they claimed was state of the art at the time, Mm -hmm. which that's debatable too, seven years ago. Seven years ago, that is a long, that's like uh, light years or whatever. You know what I mean? That's like a, that's a long time in the digital sphere. Yeah, it's a good question. Why? Uh, I, I don't want to, don't be too harsh, but it's ignorance. I think it's a lack of understanding of the role the website plays in the marketing mix and consulting companies in particular may say, well, we're an e-commerce provider. You know, we're not looking for the website to drive a transaction to create a cart and that sort of thing. And I think that's wrong. I think the the reality is, especially in B2B, which is where I largely work, uh, the website plays a critical role 
Uh, and in terms of driving a transaction, it's, it's driving a transaction all the way from top of funnel through to that point of purchase, and then theoretically to create loyalty beyond the purchase. And so I think there's a lot of ignorance, especially in consulting companies, about uh, the role the website plays in, in pe shaping people's minds um, all the way through a decision-making process. And as I say, beyond the decision in terms of building a relationship. It's certainly interesting and certainly it's true to me. And, and the one thing, you know, this is not even B2B, but um, mm. I had a contractor step by the other day. And, and the way I research any anybody, right, I Google them. And mm. then sometimes if I, you know, I see somebody that I know that has used them, I might talk to them. I might get a reference maybe. Yeah. Um, but I certainly look at what their digital presence is. And even for contractors, my opinion is it's simple enough to build a website that I will look at the website. And if it's horrible, you know, I'm like, how can they build... How can they build a good patio in my backyard if they can't even have a simple website up? And what was interesting, one contractor said to me, I said, your website is really nice. And he said, I'm always working on it. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to the point, even if you build a website, like it's never done, right? You always have to keep fiddling with it, have to keep updating it. Um, and, and how might, I mean, do you agree with that? And how, how might that look? Oh, absolutely. I think it's like, um, I mean, again, I think people, it's, it's an old attitude, which was, and I, I was around, I'm old enough to be around when, and I remember writing a press release for a banking client in the 90s, and that was announcing the fact that they had a website. So that gives you a sense of how old I am, uh, but also a sense of perhaps how people thought about websites. The web one and done, you've built it, and, and and then, okay, we can go off and do something else. You make a very good point. I think having, having a presence online that you can own is critical. And while, while you certainly want to continue to earn your brand's reputation and build brand equity in other places online, as, as you rightly point out, the website is where people go to understand about you. And they want to understand, again, regardless of the type of company or organization you are, your products and your services. But they also want to know about you. You know, the About Us page on the website, which is, has kind of become a standard. Is, is a way of describing everything that's not your product and services, but it gets the things that now people are using as part of a decision. It's things about purpose became vogue a few years ago, but it's critical. People are making decisions based on a shared mutual understanding of what this company is trying to achieve. And I, I don't want to make it sound too grand, um, but I'd say any company could and should have a brand purpose. They should have a vision. They're not all going to change the world necessarily, but they should have a perspective. Because we also live in an age of an unreliable consumer. Brand loyalty is incredibly hard to earn and I'd say even harder to maintain. And so you need to continue to feed channels like your website so people have a reason to come back and buy from you because it's become incredibly easy to buy from other people. So yeah, I think for those reasons, feeding the machine, which is a crass way of putting it, but providing updates to your website is absolutely critical, whether that's through a blog or a news page or a landing page that's part of a promotion. Um, and, and for no other reason, do it because Google will reward you. You know, you want to be on page one. You want to be referenced or connected to high value keywords. And you're only going to do that if your website is dynamic and updated as opposed to a static brochure, which is quite frankly going to push people away. And obviously if someone lands on your page and bounces quickly, Google punishes you. So I think for a bunch of reasons, the website is the place that you build, it's your home online, and it needs to be maintained, updated regularly for the reasons I've just laid out. 
I mean, no argument from me here. And certainly, you know, I make a living in content marketing, which is just an ongoing journey and it never ends to begin with, right? We have to share another story. We have to share something else. We mm -hmm. have to update things because of SEO reasons or people are now searching for something different. You know, we want to reach them for that. So certainly um, no argument from me here. The one thing I do want to talk about a little bit is you mentioned the brand story. And, yep. and so I got mixed feelings on this and I'm a storyteller in, in my daytime job, in my nighttime job, whatever. I mean, I'm a, I'm a storyteller, right? No matter what I do, quite frankly. But I do struggle with some of these brand stories. So when I mm -hmm. kind of categorize them, it looks to me there's some brand stories. They're just kind of junk. Like, mm -hmm. that's not even a story, right? Like, what are you even trying to tell me? And then on the totally opposite end of the spectrum, we have so much detail that it's just, I'm like, I'm here to eat a hamburger and have an old fashioned for dinner mm -hmm. why do i need to know that you guys were sitting on the river in 1998 and you thought oh maybe we should open this burger joint. do you know what i mean like why do i care about all these details so how do you how, how do you figure out what the right mix is for your brand story yeah it's an interesting question uh i i think i think if it comes from an understanding of your audience. And I think, um, I mean, that's why, for example, I wouldn't start with a website. I'd start with some type of persona exercise to understand who it is we're trying to reach. Uh, and the story should be a reflection of what it is that they're wanting from your brand. I mean, there needs to be, a, imagine a Venn diagram, there needs to be some type of crossover. Not every brand, I'd say, is, is worthy or, quite frankly, needs to, to have an emotional origin story, which have become both. Um, but I also think on the other side, there are various constituents for that example, the, the bar downtown that's uh, giving an old fashioned and a hamburger. That place is also going to want to appeal perhaps to investors in the future. Uh, it, it may already have investors who want to know about the history of the company that want to feel some affinity for this company as well. So I think it's, it's a balancing act between giving people, I guess, something that is, is too high concept and not necessarily of value. Uh, and finding a way again to create affinity. Um, I would say, for example, if your only relationship with a company is the service it overtly provides and the invoice you receive, then that's a pretty cold and clinical relationship. And the danger is, like I said in my, my talk before, the danger is if that's your relationship, the ability for someone to leave you and go somewhere else to the bar across the street in your example is, is very powerful. And so it's very easy for someone to switch over. And I'd apply that to, to um, cars, content providers like yourself or, or brand marketers like me. I mean, I, quite frankly, there are people all over the world offering similar services. So I think the ability to provide enough of yourself, your history, your relate, your, your background beyond simply the output you provide is something that can build that type of loyalty over time. But I do agree some companies go too far. And quite frankly, I, I don't, there is an element of I don't care. Um, I think with any piece of content, and you, you know this is a content guy, uh, the what's in it for me test has to be applied to most everything. Uh, and so, again, it's a balancing act, but it comes down to understanding who your constituent audiences are, what exactly you want from them and they want from you, uh, and not going too far down a path of, of uh, creating some sort of emotional uh, narrative that, quite frankly, is, isn't necessarily earned or, or valued. It's very interesting. I mean, it certainly has to tie back to what the company has to do with the customer, um, you know, on some level. So, so sitting on the, the, the river in 1998 uh, doesn't really have much to do with anything, right? Because they weren't probably um, grilling 
hamburgers right then. Now, the one thing you mentioned is different mm-hmm. audiences. And this is always an interesting topic to me because it is actually super easy to forget about what the purpose of a page is, what the purpose of anything is. I'll give you an example mm-hmm. um, for, as a, from a content marketing perspective, right? I could care less for the most part how the design of the blog landing page looks, right? For the most part. I mean, I care a little bit, but Mm -hmm. if I really had to allocate my brain power to certain things, I would not allocate 90% to the look of the landing page of the blog because Mm -hmm. I know most people won't read the articles on the blog landing page, right? They will come through SEO, maybe Mm -hmm. an email, maybe a social share, something like that. But there's some people who spend a tremendous amount of time thinking about that. And then you're th- I'm thinking, but who is the blog landing page for? Well, it's for the people who end up on the website for another reason. And they just kind of click over there for, you know, for example, same with like a news page. How do you, and this used to be easier. You tell me oh. if I'm wrong. But back in the day when I only created a trifle brochure and I sent it to somebody or direct yeah. mail, I knew exactly who I was sending to. Now I got different audiences coming to my website. Hmm. How do I figure out what area of the website is for what audience with a relatively good, let's call it educational guess? Hmm. Uh, I guess it depends on the the size of the the company. It's ultimately its budget and the number of audiences you're trying to reach. Um, I'm I'm working on a website now, for example, for a voiceover IP telephony company. And they target the healthcare industry, and they've got three main constituent audiences, uh, a sole practitioner or therapist, for example, a small office or a clinic, and maybe a hospital, for example. Uh, and the way that we're tackling this, and it's, it's not the biggest company in the world, it's a relatively young company, uh, but we have a, a landing, a series of landing pages for each of those key audiences, uh, which obviously optimize for search and that sort of thing. Uh, and then the travel path we've created from those pages is to appropriate content for them. And so we're trying to build a pathway that makes sense. So they can go from outside our our universe into our universe with content that relates to them. And then that takes them to a place that provides more useful content. Uh, The other way, I suppose, in the the landing page example, I did this for another company, a much larger company a few years ago, which was, uh, again, using filters. So it was a way of going, okay, well, if you're interested in the oil and gas industry, uh, you can filter our content, whether it's blog, white papers or whatever. Uh, so you're able to get to the appropriate content yourself. So I think that was one way of doing it. And I guess at the very high end is is looking at, I guess, cookies. I suppose I think the latest news is cookies continue for another year or so. But uh, having a cookie, first-party cookie approach where you're able to control that journey much more expressly and you're actually modifying the web page based on, or the website based on previous behavior. So someone's stated objectives, and I, I know the automotive car industry does this really well, where you've shown interest in a particular type of vehicle, when you go back to that site, it's showing you more based on your previous behavior. So it's actually customizing the website on the fly. So I think those are three examples of how you're able to provide content that is, is more relevant for folks coming in. And, and obviously the key there is creating a path to a point of well purchase or discovery or exchange of information or whatever the objective is. Uh, that is relevant for that person. And that's obviously critical and to the point I made before, because if you're unable to fulfill their needs from that external path in, whether it's a PPC or newsletter or whatever, you run the risk of having people bounce away. And of course, Google's going to punish you and that person probably won't come back as a potential uh, customer. Yeah, it's very interesting to me. And then also how, you know, sometimes you can just have 
uh, different path, right? Once once people are on the website, maybe you can, you know, hint at something else or, you know, look at the numbers, see what's actually working and see what's not working and see what people are doing. Um, mm -hmm. So let's say we want to start a strategy. So let's say people are listening to us and they're saying, yep, Jeremy is, is absolutely correct. We should start with a good website, but we haven't. Um, how do they even start? And like, what's what are the first steps? Oh, okay. Uh, I would start with a couple of things. You, you want to have a, a real strong sense of who your buyer is. So who, who is the person we're selling to? Um, excuse me. So from there, um, whether that is a persona document or it's done through third-party research or it's something in Google or whatever, whatever the, the content is, you understand who it is you're selling to. The worst thing you can do, quite frankly, is is have a website. And I often get this brief, oddly, uh, which is I want, a, I want a website that looks like salesforce.com. And again, I work in technology mainly, so people will say things like that. And and my challenge with that type of request is when, yeah, sure, we could build something like that, but it would be soulless because that isn't a reflection of who you are. It doesn't reflect what your brand is about or how, or, or indeed necessarily your service offering in a, in a more benefit-led way, which is another issue people have. So I would start with who is who we're trying to sell to uh, or influence or whatever the, the objective of the website is. Once that's clear, we'd look at the brand. Have we got those brand fundamentals in place? Do we have, again, a vision, a mission, a purpose? Do we have an archetype? Do we know what type of brand we are? And do we have a, a sense of our voice as well? And this type of, of prep work is critical because the last place you want to be trying to solve issues about messaging or brand is when you're actually creating the copy. Because, and you, you'll know this from your own experience, the danger of that is you end up having battles over keywords and that sort of thing in the comments section of your Google Doc, which, which means the project will stall. So let's get our house in order in terms of brand, in terms of buyer, brand, and messaging. And then let's look at the website. And the website is obviously designed to create behavior. And there are some fundamentals. I mean, most sites I work on, whether if it's a SaaS company or whatever, yes, you need a homepage, you probably need a solutions page. You need a blog, you need about, I mean, these are kind of fundamentals and there's an expectation from anyone landing on a website that they exist. But there may be other things you want to build out. Let's say, for example, our top of funnel buyer, our middle funnel maybe is looking for some sort of ROI. Maybe that's part of their issue. So let's build in an ROI calculator into the website. Let's do that in a thoughtful way based on our understanding of that buyer and the journey they go through to purchase. So once we have all those elements in place, we can build out an appropriate website. So I'd, I'd start there. And again, I don't want to say to anyone, look, you've got to do all this heavy work before you can actually start in your website. But I would say there are some pieces of that that are absolutely critical. And I say, if you don't make that investment up front, your website's going to come out generic or it's going to be delayed even further because you haven't actually figured out what it is you want to say and who you want to, uh, how you want to say it and who you want to say it to before embarking on the project. I mean, certainly I like that approach and, you know, I really am not a big fan of the approach where people just say, I want this on the homepage, I want a slider and I'm still opposed to sliders. I don't know why people want them. I don't know. I've never seen any numbers where people click on them or even stick around for the fifth slide. Um, but, you know, I, 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 it drives me crazy when people don't have a strategy. Uh, we do have an, an entire episode with Regine Gilbert. Uh, if you want to go back to that, I'm not sure what the number is. But on accessibility and accessibility, it's not, you'll be surprised perhaps, my friends, how many people are affected by accessibility. I'm affected by it. You know, like I don't, I can't stand when it's like, like, you know, flickering like that. I just saw a website like that the other day. They were trying to be 
I'll, I'll put it this way. They were trying to be creative and they were showing sports scenes in the background. But what it really was doing is it was really just giving me a headache. And I'm sure I'm not the only person that that happened to. Mm -hmm. So, but at, but at what point um, do you bring in the people um, to give it a certain look and give it a certain feel and those kind of things? And then along those same lines, mm -hmm. the fundamentals matter, right? How does it fit together? Um, mm -hmm. Is it the right setup? Is it is it optimized correctly for SEO? I do not want to mention how many projects I've seen where it looks beautiful and mm -hmm. somebody forgot about SEO. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm dating myself here too. But um, you know, how, when do you bring in all those different pieces? No, you're not at all dating yourself. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I would be thinking about search relatively early in the process because again, if we're trying, if we if if you follow my logic. Uh, we need to understand what this brand represents and what its messages are. Uh, both of those things are dependent, or not dependent, needed to be a reflection of uh, search and keywords. Because quite frankly, unless you are bold enough to say we can create a new category and quite frankly spend the amount of money that's required to do that, uh, you need to be conforming to some extent to the language of your buyers. And unless you know what language they use to search, what language they use as part of the decision-making process, you could be wasting that entire investment from the design, from the copywriting, and ultimately the development. So, so I'd say, yes, you need to be talking to search, I'd say, at the messaging stage uh, to understand the keywords, certainly before you start any type of copywriting. And it's also, as you think about the site map, I'd also want to make sure that we're looking at the appropriate search terms there and having those drilled in. Uh, so I think that's that's a critical piece. From a design point, uh, from a brand visual identity, uh, I would want to be doing that, quite frankly, at the same time that I'm doing the uh, the language for the site. So if I'm thinking about things like your vision, mission, values, purpose, I also want to be thinking about your, your fonts, and I want to think about the text that you use and the size of the text and the colors and the logo, um, because your, your website is your most critical uh, presence in, in, I could say, on the web, but it's actually beyond the web in terms of your overall brand identity. And so you need to make sure that the website is a reflection of that. So I'd, I'd be doing those two things in, in harmony. And the way that I find it works best is when you're going through a discovery process, and I do a lot of branding work as well as, as websites, uh, I want to make sure that I'm talking to and partnering with a designer. And when we're going through discovery, we're working in tandem so that the visual identity is a reflection of the, the written uh, elements that are critical uh, and vice versa. Because otherwise, I mean, the, the problem is if you don't do that, one, the client ends up going through essentially a very similar process twice. And two, you end up with a, a, a visual identity that doesn't isn't actually reflected in the language you use. And that could be dangerous. So that's when I bring in that person. I'd also want to be considering, quite frankly, that uh, ultimately the developers at some point, and I find quite it, it can be challenging when you have a designer who builds a project, they pass it on to development, uh, and there's no connection between those two things. And you end up with a UX and UI issues. You end up with a, a beautiful design that is not practical. Uh, so I'd really want to make sure either it's the same company doing those two things or you found that unicorn individual who can manage both design and development. So I think th those are the pieces in the process. And the sooner, quite frankly, you get everybody around the table, the better. Certainly, um, speaking with the designer at the point of doing discovery for the brand identity uh, and in terms of SEO, when we're talking about messaging and structure, and I think once we've got the site map, that's almost the time you want to be having an initial conversation with your developer just to see if there's anything that we should be including as well. 
And then finally, I'd go back to my SEO as a, as a check um, once the copy and everything is ready, just to make sure we've got our hierarchies, our structures, our headers, all the tagging is appropriate as well. Um, so we're going to get ultimately the result that our, our clients are looking for. It's certainly a collaboration. And the one thing that comes to my mind when you were just talking, what I was thinking about is when websites were created, and I'm sure they're still being created like this sometimes today. And let's say on a news website or even on a blog, you know, whoever is the designer says, oh, every blog should have an image, right? So every blog is required to have an image. And then the content strategists go, well, we don't have a good image, which is then why we ended up with crappy images because I had to put an image there, but mm -hmm. that could have been prevented just by talking about it. And I know now some developers, right, they have an option, either no image or an image, and here's how it looks if mm -hmm. there's no image. But certainly you have to talk to each other and not just, um, you know, shoot from the hip and do it by yourself. And also consider workflows. How do people create content later on? Um, and how does that work? So make sure that works together. Jeremy, in the last uh, 80 seconds here or so, tell us, um, how do people work with you? Who should reach out to you? Who's your perfect client? And, and how do you help them? Okay. 80 seconds. Uh, I, I work with either startup companies, companies that have some initial funding or established companies. My, my point of entry is normally when a company is either establishing a brand or rebranding. Uh, that often leads to some of those outputs that I talked about, mission, vision, values, purpose, messaging, and so on, which often flows into website, whether that's a website built from scratch or a website redesign. The other thing that I do is uh, fractional CMO work. So I'm working as a CMO for two companies today. And the role there is is overseeing the brand, the messaging, as well as uh, running the tactical the strategy and tactical execution. So those are the, the worlds in which I play. Uh, and how do they reach me? LinkedIn is a really great place. I'm Jeremy Wolf. I'm the only first Jeremy Wolf on LinkedIn. So you'll find me over there. Uh, and in terms of how I operate, I operate uh, with companies all over the world at various sizes. And I help them find uh, take their great ideas and find their audiences and their messages. And certainly we've talked about the concept of fractional CMOs before. Very interesting. And, you know, if you don't need a full-time CMO, but you need strategy help, especially, right, that's a very, very good model um, to pull people in and help you with that. Um, Jeremy Wolf, Wolf, by the way, is spelled, I know some of you are listening on podcast channels where there's no video, W-O-O-L-F. So check him out on LinkedIn. Jeremy, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for the time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.